Welcome to Baladance Live podcast with weekly portion of stories, tips and dance inspiration. My name is Jana Komarnitska, I'm your host and I invite you to explore all nuances of Baladance Live together with me and our amazing guests. Let's start! Hello everyone, how are you? I hope you had a lovely, productive week and now heading to a a beautiful, enjoyable weekend. (laughs) I am super excited about our upcoming lineup of guests. During next month, you will hear from such artists as Gigi Dilshah, Mario Kirlis, Hassan Halil and George Sava and these are just a few that are already sort of confirmed and scheduled to go out and there's so much more coming up. I'm really thrilled about all uh, future nearest episodes but today, uh, this week, I decided to put together another best of episode and we will focus on the topic of dance production and dance on a big stage all around the world. You will hear from several different artists who had completely different uh, experience in this uh, area and some of them are staging their own productions, uh, some of them are part of big productions that they are gonna um, talk about but basically in this episode you will hear parts from previous interviews but more related and focused on a specific subject and I find it super informative and interesting to listen back to back to different people talking about their experience and opinion about certain subject. It kind of gives a perspective of overall view and brings attention to some things that we may not really notice just listening to the full conversation at first. So today uh, we are going to hear from Mr. Osgan and if you will want to uh, re-listen or listen the full interview with him, go back to episode number 12. We talked about a lot about Turkish dance and his transition from being a part of big company to later developing his solo career in Europe. Also, you will hear from Jelena and, of course, about BDE, Ballad Dance Evolution, and her process of working with dancers and uh, uh, casting uh, performers for her production. And if you want to hear more about that, go back to episode number 22. Then, followed up, uh, will be part of interview with uh, Oscar Flores and... Uh, That interview with him was one of those mind-blowing and we talked about so many different things and topics, Uh, but in uh, this, today's episode, I highlighted only very, very small part of the interview with him where he talked about his uh, international, like, multi-troop, I would even say. You'll hear exactly what I'm talking about in a bit, but uh, if you want to listen the full interview with Oscar Flores, go back to episode number 25. And today we will um, sum up everything with uh, 
part of interview with Vanessa and um, in the full episode with Vanessa we talked about two different aspects first about her Egyptian um, her production company in Egypt that she was uh, sort of directing and uh, producing but in this episode I highlighted a part that she talked about her participation in the production from Balloon Theatre and uh, how the dance was presented in that play. But again, if you want to listen to the full episode, go back to episode number 55 to listen and hear more from awesome and amazing Vanessa. All these episodes and direct links to them will be as usual in the show notes, so you can easily find them there and click and go listen to the full interviews. But in this episode, we will be enjoying just a little parts from the loose conversations and uh, I hope it will bring you to some uh, new ideas and uh, um, thinking about some aspects that before were out of your attention. So, enjoy! So, you also mentioned that you joined a dance group, dance company, folk dance company, at some point in your dance journey, then you were back in Istanbul. Can you tell us a little bit more about that page of your life? <laughs> yeah, actually, that's that's the point that I kind of started uh, looking to the dance as kind of a profession. Because uh, when I was in, uh, I was I was studying in Cyprus. Um, I actually studied communication skills, and then I went to audition in Istanbul to this uh, big, very very big company uh, called Fire of Anatolia, and then mm-hmm. later on they become Sultans of the Dance. And um, they yeah the the the, the long auditions uh, gone through, and then I accept me. Uh, they accept me into the company, and I start working with them. And I really, really had a uh, great time and I learned so much things, uh, so much techniques and drama because they were combining, uh, incorporating uh, Turkish folk dancing into a story, uh, into a kind of uh, trendy story, let's say, love story. Um, mm. And then then uh, fusing with modern and ballet techniques. So it was kind of very uh, clean and very... Uh, big uh, character in the dance uh, you will see i see i noticed also that in turkish uh, dance scene uh, the presence of such companies as uh, fire of anatolia for instance uh, they are very popular like there are many of those uh, uh, companies that uh, sort of present dance in a more i don't know how to say maybe a theatrical way like why do you think for turkey it's uh, common uh, like why mm-hmm. what do you think was uh, behind it why it became so popular those kind of shows in turkey i think it's it's become trendy the first company uh that i kind of actually started they were really popular so it was the first uh, uh let's say flower let's say in the market because they were the first one and then i then after they realize that there they can be uh, the similar or many different uh, companies like like that, and then they open different companies. And as you were mentioning before, Turkish folk dance is very rich, and obviously Turkey is a huge country. So from the east to west and north to east, north to south, we have so much different dance styles influencing from from the Arab or the Greece or the uh, Russian and Balkans as well. 
So th- there was there were a lot of um, market, let's say, to be expressed uh, through Turkish folk dancing, uh, fusing with in uh, fusing with fusion and modern dance into a story. That's why I think uh, they had like at least four or five uh, different company after that, and I think they they kind of use um, or focus to use so much, uh, of course, love stories, but using more mythology. Uh, mythologic and then story and a history from Turkish and Anatolia actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, about those years in the company, uh, how do they usually um, select dancers for their uh, plays or for their concerts? And uh, how does the training goes? Is it always about uh, putting up choreography or does the training component includes in in those uh, times too? Uh, actually, that's that's um, that's kind of a hardcore to be able to go into these companies. I remember when I first go into the audition, um, they asked us to prepare a routine for two minutes, and then I was brave enough to prepare to a modern dance kind of things. Mm-hmm. Even though I didn't any training, I was kind of watching from uh, television that time and some DVDs, but we didn't have even so much DVDs that time. Um, and then once they see you in the first day, they kind of uh, test how much uh, you hear the music uh, and then all this knowledge. And then, then they teach you kind of routines from folk dancing as well as ballet and modern. So they were expecting to see how quickly you learn. And then after uh, you you kind of uh, pass the first section of the audition, I remember we, we were going into three months uh, uh, other audition three months we were camping let's say to be able to see how how much how strong uh, we could be because obviously it was a very mm. hardcore training so they wanted to see the personality as well as how how we are collaborating with different dancers and the choreographer so it's not just the dancing or how much talent you had it was the communication between the dancers because once you go to tour you're basically years and years months and months you're on the go or you are a different part of the world together so you need to really eat breathe and dance with these people uh together so it was important for them to see as well and then i passed past that uh, audition as well and then i was in the company and uh, after you passed uh, the audition what's uh happened next uh, uh so i as i understood they sort of uh, uh set up their auditions in order to make sure that people can survive uh, the dance life after audition yeah. but what's that dance life looks like after uh, once you're already in <laughs> well i mean the, the adventure started like once you're in I remember, I think the process, how it goes, we had the deadline for the show. Let's say the show was in six months or a year. Mainly, I think the first time it was like an year because we need to practice and we meet, we need to make the whole show like two hour show, but it has to be very professional, slick. So I remember we were, we had, uh, we were starting from 10 o'clock in the morning till six o'clock. It's very difficult because you kind of using your, your body and your physical non-stop dancing. Obviously you learn some uh, drama techniques and we had breaks as well uh so i remember we were learning uh, styling of dance let's say gypsy romani or the black sea dance as kind of a tradition uh, aspect and then we were learning modern dance and then after 
after months and months later, we were we start to learn the choreography and the show, let's say, and then that what was the story of the show and the details, and it was kind of a progress, let's say. Uh, but it was uh, hardcore. It was six days, sometimes seven days, mm. actually. So basically, we were booked for five days, but we were like, working six day, six days, seven days. Uh, it was it was kind of fun. Uh, it was it was hard to. Well, I can only imagine fun, but uh, really hardcore. It's basically having a yeah. full-time job uh, in dance. How did you, uh, and other dancers, how did you manage to balance this physical uh, pressure, like dancing from early morning till like evening and uh, having not that many days off? Uh, was there any special, uh, I don't know, classes or time breaks for, I don't know, stretching or yoga or healthcare, like or maintaining your body to be able to uh, sustain such a demanding schedule? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I remember we had a drama teacher. Uh, he was really famous uh, actor from Turkey. He was telling us like, you, your job is like a miner. It's almost like you're you're working in a mining company. It was hard. Special. I remember the first month. I think it first or two months. First two months or first one month. I was sore every day because mm. it was really shock to the system, shock to the body. It's almost like you're going to gym. But you did every day, so it was like two months. I had, I felt that my body changing, and then it was, uh, I was more fit and everything. But obviously, we had stretch time, we had yoga. Even though this is, I'm talking about, it's maybe like twelve years ago. Uh, even that, that in Turkey it wasn't that popular. Maybe perhaps in the world it wasn't that popular. All this yoga, meditation stuff. Mm -hmm. We were learning all these things to balance. Um, it was fair enough, let's say. We had the balance of um, uh, moving and spending energy as well as collecting them back. But uh, it was uh, kind of hardcore physically as well as mentally because basically you're with this 50 people, let's say. I don't remember. I think 50, 60 people every day. It's like a family. Uh, it's competitive too. So you need to be really uh, look physically and then uh, mentally fit to be able to maintain there. Well, I can only imagine it's uh, quite intense and uh, although we see a lot of hard-working ballet dancers, but sometimes I'm looking at the company dances in different fields, uh, like for instance in uh, example of for your company in Turkey or some ballet companies and uh, uh, then like realizing, oh, we don't really sometimes even get to the really hardcore dance life <laughs> that we are dancing all day long. Yeah. And not just for a few festival True. days, but as a lifestyle, basically as a work. So that's really interesting to hear the insight. And also you briefly mentioned, uh, but I'd like to ask a little bit more, like how important was dancers experience in other styles rather than just Turkish folk dancing? Actually, uh, we learned like modern ballet and all these things. And among of the dancers, we kind of, for example, that time I was doing a lot of Latin dance. We had like a free sessions that I was teaching them some Latin dance, kind of like to, <laughs> to have general understanding from a different type of uh, dance and dance forms. We had kind of a kind of collaborative uh, work workshops, let's say. Uh, but mainly we were focusing to the Turkish folk dance because as I mentioned before, Turkish regions are so uh, so much and then once you learn 
to the, the style, you need to put the character on top of it as well. And uh, it is really, I have to say, the Turkish folk dancing is kind of difficult, very, very hard. Challenging, let's say. Nothing is difficult, but it is very, very challenging because you have so much steps and the rhythms uh, they use, it's kind of um, uh, interesting, not even, let's say. And that was really, really challenging. Mm. So coming back to your activities, uh, starting from uh, uh, performing solo at uh, different showcases in UK, now you have the whole dance productions all around the world. <laughs> uh, so how was that uh, um, development? Like it's quite uh, quite a jump uh, to go to such a uh, different scene, a dance scene, and uh, putting up all those uh, productions again. Did it happen something just naturally? Some people start asking you, or was it something that comes from you? Like you decided that you want to put together some uh, dance, I would say spectacles, because they have the whole plot and story and topics in each uh, in each of them. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the artist, I mean, everybody, human being, we always evolve and we are never satisfied from where we are. We always want to go one step more 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 till we die i think this is how it goes this is how i believe um so i was like dancing around then i was getting booked to the festivals all around the world i was doing much solo and then i start to have this need to be to say that i am more than this i mean not to don't uh, not to offense to anyone i mean i like going to festivals to teach but i said okay i need to do in a story in the story in the story and something was buzzing in my mind i said i need to do a story i need to do a story i need to i need to perform this beautiful art form into a mainstream people and the only way i think to be able to open up to the mainstream people to put this this beautiful dance stars into a story so for them to to observe or digest the story or the the type of the dance or the story of the dance it was in the story so it was clearly out there but i think partially it's happened naturally naturally and i started doing like a project like a community project where i was training the dancers uh and then putting them in the story and then i kind of um uh, Uh, build up this uh, into a different level let's say and then i so far i think i had like gosh three three four productions mm -hmm. that i traveled and then i perform in asia australia and europe not not yet america but hopefully um yeah i like this i like taking the the dance let's say i like taking the baladi and then romani dance And I put them into the story. Let's say in the story, the girls love the boys and boys love the girl. And the balladi, their sensuality and their it's the dance of their uh, love, let's say. And the Romani can be a fight between uh, two lovers or the two boys that they love in, in uh, they, they have love uh, the girl. So I put them into the story so it's more fun. And then the audience observe the culture easily. Otherwise... If non-Billy dancer, they wouldn't understand why the Romani dance is that. I mean, mm. obviously, art doesn't have any boundaries. They still feel, but it will be easier if you put them into the story. It's more meaningful. I see. And where do you find the inspiration for the topics or the plot of each production? Is it something based on mythology? Or is it story? Or you come up with your own stories for each of them? <laughs> I just create my own story. I I... 
I have a very simple and complicated approach, let's say. I, the simplicity is the story. It has to be very simple. Uh, because even if you look to um, very famous musicals, the story is always simpler. And then the, the how do you pr how do you put on a stage and the feelings of them is difficult and the heart or uh, intricate, let's say. This is how I do as well. Normally, I focus on to do uh, Gypsy as well as the Open Ottoman Empire. For example, in mm -hmm. my latest, um, uh, it's a most popular, the one that I toured for years, Ashk means love in Turkish, um, has two parts. The first part is Gypsy, uh, set in the Gypsy camp, and then the, the, the girls and boys flirt to each other. And it's the story of a woman, a Gypsy girl, who fall in, actually, who actually fall in love with herself, and then two guys just kind of fighting over her. So that's kind of a tri mm -hmm. triple triangle story going on between them. So the jealousy, dark feeling, that, uh, and the last you see kind of, uh, not kind of, not sexual, but it's kind of, you see the dark last and uh, all this thing. And then in the second half is Ottoman Empire. The 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 Sultan falls in love with the uh, courtesan or jariye we call it in Turkish, and their sad story. It's a secret secret love to start with, as well as then the courtesan dies at the end of the uh, uh, story, and and then it finishes like a spiritual. Um, and then her soul comes uh, to dance with the sultan and then hold the ceremony of of her uh, passing away from this world to to other world and all these things. So I use so much uh, from the mythology as well as religion uh, in the story. You will see them. You can see them. So I, I like all these kind of mystic things like fortune telling. And then uh, animal women or tribe or tribal styling. So you, you see all this uh, legendary style, let's say, epical style in the, in the story. Mm. It's also interesting how you use the storytelling as sort of a bridge to make uh, a ballad dance or dance in general more understandable uh, and um, more closer to the general audience uh, so they can perceive it easier and in more understanding way. It sort of reminded me what uh, uh, I think uh, Michael Fokin did in early 20th century with uh, uh, ballet, a Russian ballet troupe, uh, that they transformed yeah. ballet into literal storytelling story with uh, uh, mimic or gesturing instead of a set uh, uh, sequence of movements like it was ballet before that. Uh, that you need to know the code to understand. Yeah. So it's sort of like in ballet dance world, you need to know yeah. uh, all the nuances to appreciate sometimes the dance uh, dance performance. But in this case, then there is a sort of storytelling. It can capture the general audience uh, much easier. So do you find any difficulties actually with uh, promoting... Uh, your shows to general audience because it's still probably presented as a ballad dance show so people may be confused or maybe yeah. they intrigued opposite <laughs> if they hear something like that yeah that's the challenge mainly because i mean when i travel uh, the world and the organizers of course they need to advertise i say and obviously they need to sometimes they kind of uh, connect with the Turkish audience or Turkish communities. I said to them, please don't say male belly dancer or belly dancer. Say 
Turkish, um, uh, let's say Turkish uh, story told by Turkish music and dance into a dance, modern fusion, say whatever, but don't say male belly dancers, especially, <laughs> and the belly dancers. That's the problem, mm. and that's the challenge, let's say. It's not the problem, actually, it's the situation. Um, uh, that's the challenge that we all face. That's the reason, deep inside, actually, naturally, I use drama so much dramatic story and fuse it with belly dancing because belly dance people think you just do it on the uh, in the in the restaurant shaking your uh, you doing shimming around and everything but i put a feeling in those moments and i it is quite dark i mean sometimes i look at the video and dvds of my show basically you see so much elements of belly dancing, uh, let's say the figure of eight and curvy movement, but actually overall, maybe it's like 40% of it actually. The rest of it is kind of modern approach. Can you go a little bit deeper? What for you means work on a concept of the show? Because I can't even imagine how, like if I need to put together, I don't know, two hours dance production with a storyline. <laughs> okay, what does it mean? Where I start? Like, is it choreographing? But, like, I, I imagine it, it involves much more than just coming to studio and start choreographing. So how this wor process of working on the concept looks for you? <laughs> um, the process, it's changed over the years. Um, in the beginning, it used to be, it always used to be, uh, music first, I, then, I, then I would get the ideas. It always kind of started with, not always, but in a way, that was like the main recipe. And now I'm, I'm, I'm coming up, you know, as the, the trend, you know, evolution. <laughs> the evolution of my creative process is I, I come up more with like an ideas and then I'll, I'll, I, I want to have a scene, like the opening scene when... Um, you know, when, when, um, the golden slave has the affair with the queen or di just different things like that. So I have a scene involved. And then what I do with my team is like, we, we sketch out like a storyboard and then we kind of look at those ideas. And then we think of like, just to think about what it looks like visually. And then, then we get into the room and we start playing with like ideas and steps and movements and sometimes with music and sometimes without music. So it's it's a it's a process that has that has evolved, and then something I've done I've been able to do recently is I because I travel so much that I don't teach locally very often. So I had a chunk of time that I was going to be home. So I started doing um, what I called community classes. So I would do classes. It was like ten dollar class. Community comes in. So uh, the first hour was classes like you know technique and drills and combos. And then the second hour was stay and play and it was free. So you could stay and play and I could build choreographies on the bodies. I could, you know, have the girls, okay, everybody like, you know, create a diagonal here. And then like from this formation, go into a circle. All right. What if you guys do a shimmy and the other half of you are doing, you know, a figure eight or something. So to actually start to create the movement on, on bodies. So, that was a really fun process for me because I, I felt like I could really spend time developing ideas and, and, and not feeling that crunch of, I have to finish everything in a month. I have to finish 
like, you know, and so kind of like jamming through stuff. It was really nice to step back, look at it and say, you know, what? I don't like that at all. We're going to start from zero. I just like, let's, let's do something different. And being able to, to do that has been such a gift and such a joy. And I feel like it's raised the level of the performance, uh, choreography, production, all of that. Um, so that, that's, kind of been the process. It starts with, with the ideas. It starts with the story. Then we storyboard it and, and, and go through it from there. Mm, that's that's great solution. I kind of feel it's a win-win for absolutely all participants uh, of this community classes. Oh, it's fun. And, you know, was, I did them like on a Wednesday afternoon at 12 noon. I said, oh, my God, no one's going to show up. You know, who has time? And slowly people, the word got out and people started showing up. And the, the stay and play was so fun. People were just like, you know, like up to it and would would just let me move their bodies and all kinds of fun, weird things. And and it was just explorative and really uh, a creative time, I think, for all of us. Mm. So I encourage other people to try that, other directors to try that in their communities and, um, and, and explore being able to, you know, build movement and ideas on, on bodies. That's awesome. And... Uh... How do you work, how do you source your music for the productions? Because uh, if I haven't mistaken, but on the website I saw in the description of each production, it's sort of the same one composer, uh, but maybe I misread somewhere. But how do you usually source the music, especially if you now work that, okay, I have idea first, it's not like music goes first. Right. <laughs> how, do you, how do you deal with it? Uh, well, a lot of people don't know this. Uh, as I think you might not even know it, but Paul Dinletier, who does the composer and does the, all the, the original soundtracks for, for my productions, is my husband. We've been uh, married for 20 years, and he's, he specializes in music for film and television. He has a company called Audio Machine. And Audio Machine does um, specializes, it's a very specific genre, it's uh, music for movie trailers. So he has this wonderful theatrical sort of cinematic approach to music. And he was originally born in Lebanon, but, but grew up here. So he has a little bit of that um, Arabic touch, but most of all the Arabic influence comes from um, uh, when I invite musicians over to, to work with him, uh, like Isam Hoshan or Ozzy Ashkenazi, uh, so that he's collaborated with or different um, Middle Eastern artist, or uh, a lot of times, like when we have these ideas, I'll come in and say, okay, so this is the opening scene and I want it to start really slow. And then the next thing is like the tempo picks up. So what if we use uh, like a malfouf rhythm here? So actually he didn't know what malfouf rhythm was because he'd never studied Middle Eastern music (laughs) really. So then we kind of like, he would go through it and he's like, you know, it's not so hard to figure out when you're an accomplished musician. So, okay. So we'd put, lay down these, like he'd start laying down the tracks and uh, bring in uh, musicians to, to record live on top of that. So it's been a wonderful collaborative uh, effort. And I feel very fortunate to, uh, to, to have such a, such a wonderful partner. Oh, that's so amazing. Sounds like awesome uh, team. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you also have very interesting approach to casting of the dancers. So as far as I know, you have a main principal cast. Mm-hmm. And also you open 
call for uh, other dancers to join uh, whenever you are touring so basically the dancers uh, can apply online get choreography uh, learn submit video and they may be invited to join uh, your production uh, on a specific tour when you watch this video i don't know if you do yourself or maybe you have assistants who watch those videos but i, I watch them all i i do oh, i personally wow. watch them all yeah. So, yeah. in this case, what are you specifically looking, which skills or what is important for you to see in the video uh, to make a decision to invite uh, this dancer to join the production? That You know, that's such a great question and um, I'm really glad you asked th that question because uh, people people want to know and I, and I want to help them through the audition process, through this sort of casting online process. So... The, the way it works is they do basically like a three-minute belly dance evolution choreography. Uh, so they have to learn it and present it. Then they get to do three minutes of their own material. So I, I get to see their personality, what unique skills that they have, and to see them sort of doing their own thing. Because sometimes I, I might be able to use that um, and highlight those, those features in the show. If, if they, specifically if they do something very unique. So when they do the belly dance evolution technique, I actually choreograph it with specific um, techniques inside the choreography. So first of all, uh, there's like hip technique. So I put in specific types of hip moves to see the fluidity and, you know, kind of the belly dance technique. And then there's um, shimmies to see if, how the shimmy looks and how, like, if they have a variety of shimmy um, is really important. Also, there's a section of like arms and hands. So they're just isolating arms and hands to see if they have awareness of the, uh, of the upper body. Um, cause that's also a key, a little, you know, key thing to see their level of training as well, to, to see the energy in the arms and hands. Um, of course there's turns involved because we have, you know, high level choreography. We have to do a lot of turns plus the belly dance technique, staging, abilities. So, uh, there's like definitely a section of, uh, of turns to see how they handle, uh, turns. I also do a strength, a strength section where there's like a level change they have to do, for example, like a reverse figure eight, um, like a Maya going all the way down to the floor and then maybe coming back up to, to see the strength in their legs, because that's not necessarily an easy thing if, if you're not in good physical condition. Also the details. So for example, we like in belly dance evolution, we have something called the wrap turn. So when I turn, let's say I turn to the left, I'm going to wrap the left arm in front and the right arm in back. So some people mix that up and they, they reverse the arms. So are they able to pick up those very, very specific details of the style? Uh, do they get the hands right? Do they get the choreography right? Do they have um, flexibility in their body? Sometimes there's like a little back bend uh, some of that in, in, in the audition video. So I, I choreographed that piece very specifically to see those different elements. And, you know, some of the, the, the physical condition, we have a, such a variety of dancers, uh, of age range, of size range, of, of, of backgrounds, of, um, all ethnicity and different, you know, economical class. So it's, it, I really want, I want that diversity in the show and I want to work with um, a diverse group. So with that said, they also have to have a strong physical condition to get through eight to nine hours of dancing for, for a week. 
So are they are they going to be up to it and not have injuries? Because that that's not going to be fun for anybody if someone gets injured. Um, it has happened, and um, it's 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 unfortunate. It's you know. So with those things said, like, are they up for the challenge? And uh, the, yeah, so I guess I would say those are the specific things that I look for. I also, when I'm doing the casting, I also have a team that we come in and so we have a, we use a Google doc. So we put all the videos in the Google doc and then I have like, I score them. So like on a score of one to 10, so that let's say this dancer gets an eight. Then I have my other colleague, like Heather will come in and give her score. Maybe she only gives her a six or a, or she gives her a nine. Uh, and then we also have a section where we write comments. And then I have another colleague will come in and give her score and her comments. So after the casting is closed, we all go back in. We sort of we we kind of go with the highest scores. We do the comments. We have a meeting. We talk about the feedback, and sometimes we 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 fight for dancers that we really like. Like, well, I will say, well, you know what? I know this. You know, this dancer's there's something I really liked about her, and I really loved. She didn't do that great with the choreography, but her solo was like so outstanding, or vice versa. She was really outstanding with the choreography, but the solo was, you know, she got a lower, lower score with that, but, um, I'd like to give her the opportunity and work with her. And then Heather will also have dancers that she sort of fights for and, um, you know, to get into the cast. So it's definitely one of the hardest parts about this process. It, it is not an easy decision. And now we give ourselves almost like four or five days to make that decision because it, it goes, we go back and forth. <laughs> hmm. Um, and, and we also try to have a diverse group. A, a, a diverse group. So, for example, let's say we're, we're doing the show in Italy and we have a lot of Italian dancers, you know, auditioning. We also want to have a diverse group that we have, of course, some local dancers, some Italian dancers. But we also want to have some of the, you know, we get European, other European dancers that come in, American dancers that want to join. And they they they'll they're willing to do the traveling and then we bring in this diverse group and then part of the goal is that they actually do they network with each other so they're going to be building upon those relationships and it's it's been wonderful to see that someone like like Jasira from Poland um you know she's because she's worked with us in Europe in different events that she's networked a lot with with a lot of our BDE cast and is invited to different festivals in Europe of those dancers for example um Jasira has her own festival, so she has a network of dancers that she can reach out to, and um, it's really that's been really fun to see that. Yeah, she was on the podcast just a few interviews ago, and there was so so much excitement in her voice, and she was talking about uh, her experience in ballet dance evolution and all fun stuff, and uh, uh, yeah, you, you we can just literally hear her joy and uh, fun and excitement in her memories about those years and how much it helped and served her in her dance career that's you know what that's that is that's the best compliment and someone like Jacera like really put the time in and worked worked her butt off and really reaped the benefits like she um, the last time she was in the show she was helping me direct she actually got some of the lead roles because she she, she had raised her level up and I was able to give her the opportunity to dance some of the lead roles in the show. So 
it's been really fun to see that transition and see the evolution of these, you know, what I call like the young and up and coming dancers and then see them kind of graduate into their own force. Now they're out in the globe teaching global workshops and performing and producing their own shows, you know, working in their schools. And that's the idea of it. I want to give these dancers the tools and the education and the training that they go back into their communities and, and they apply them. The idea is that we're giving them, I want to give them these tools to, to grow their own communities as well. So um, she's a great example of that. Yeah, definitely. Jasir is a great example of someone who's worked hard and worked her way up through the dance company, got the lead roles and also uses those tools, you know, outside and, and use it in her work. That sounds like a great uh, learning opportunity and it's not only about learning dance skills but also learning how these theatrical productions work and how the staging works and the choreography process uh, work and in general how to work with um, such quite a big group of people in a very short time yeah, and it's intense i would i was about to say probably very pressured and stressed <laughs> condition because basically in like what one week uh, when you go come all together you need to put everything together even all the dancers may already know the choreographies in advance or right, some parts yeah. it's still a lot of work to put everything together make sure everyone is doing on the right timing and the right direction the same uh, yeah. timing of uh, doing it uh, together in a group and actually have a deadline of performance. So what are the main, I don't know, challenges or maybe opposite, like fun stuff in terms of uh, people's relationships in this group? Because it's, a, it's fun, it's dance, but it's still work and it's quite work under pressure of, okay, I, we do have to perform. Is there any challenges or any tricks how you manage to avoid possible challenges in, um, in terms of communication between people and their relationships? Yeah, you know, um, we keep trying to figure out how to, how to improve the experience for them and for us and to, to, and to raise up the show. So one thing we've done is we, we have the dancers learn the choreographies in advance then they actually, once they learn the choreography, they send the videos to us and we give critical feedback on it. So I know on day one that they know the dance. They've already gotten the first round of feedback. You know, for example, they're doing a, a piece in the show called Resolution. So on Resolution, all the cast members do it. And they, also, they film themselves in their living room, in their studio, wherever it is. Um, they film themselves doing the choreography. So I, I have sort of this like guarantee that the, I know they show up on day one, that they know the choreography, um, because that has not always been the case. You know, you get half the people who know it and half the people said, Oh, I didn't realize I had to know it. I thought we were going to learn it. And I, no, oh. <laughs> yeah. Shock. That was, you know, big learning lesson. Yeah. So back to the drawing board, how can we avoid that in the future? So um, yeah, so we have tools like that that we use and um, we do, you know, we're, we're, we're starting developing different exercises where we do, um, we move around together sort of outside the choreography. We, we have like bonding exercises. We like in the beginning of rehearsal, we, we sit in a circle and we, we have these like sharing topics. We all communicate, we all participate and we get to know each other on a deep and personal level. And that 
I think that has transformed the whole company. It has transformed the experience and it has transformed how they react to each other. So we have that, that, that personal bond uh, emotionally first. Then we do the work. Then we do the physical work. And it has transformed, I think, that, um, like you said, like the relationships between the dancers because now, now they're invested. They're invested personally and physically. And that's, that's like just a whole nother level of, um, of artistry. Kelly, tell us a little bit more about your troupe, because now I'm very intrigued. I thought it's more like a belly dance troupe, what we usually see, like everyone does belly dance and maybe with some influence, but now you're saying you're specifically choosing people from different dance forms. So can you tell us a little bit more about it? <laughs> yes, always my, my troops have this goal. In, in this moment in Spain, I have uh, nine dancers and each one have one specific topic. I have one tribal dancer, I have one jazz dancer, I have one flamenco dancer, I have one Armenian dancer, I have one burlesque dancer, and each one have a different character when dance. Of course, when we perform together, we spend one choreography together with the same energy, but I want to have a different characters inside to my, my troupe. Because, for example, now we are working in the musical of Aladdin. In Aladdin, each one have a different character. And I working for maybe next year, we have one, one show to I made three times in Argentina. is a belly duet. I want to make one duet with each dancer. One duet with a, a, a flamenco one duet with a tango, one duet with a burlesque, one one duet with a tribal fusion. For this, I want to have one dancer with each specific topic. For this, when you have a different people inside to the troupe, the troupe, when work together, grow, because share different experience. If all the dancers are, are dancing the same, it's not difficult to this troupe uh, share without competition. No, because all the dancers have the same level, the same structure, the same language. It's a difficult find who is the best. When you have one troupe and each dancer have a different topics and different influence and different information, these people share and you create one community more. When you create one team, it's not one troupe, it's one team. My team works very in communion, you know, very hard. And all the people share because have, have a different experience, have a different vision. And it's so interesting work with this kind of group. Mm, that's so inspiring also to hear completely different, I mean, for me, completely different, unexpected approach because uh, whenever I was uh, reading about your dance group activities or like now we talked before, I, I assumed it was like a belly dance uh, too, probably based on your uh, students, but now you're given completely different approach. Hmm, that's very interesting. Thank you for sharing. And uh, where can people find the videos of your uh, Dance to performances. <laughs> I think to in YouTube. I know uh, the last two years, last three years, when I moved to China, I lost the control of my YouTube channel. Uh, because in China, we don't have YouTube, we don't have Google, we don't have Facebook. Uh, I lived two and a half years in China, 
And for all these years, I can upload too much new videos. Uh, in my computer, I have three more to 300 videos for upload. <laughs> oh, soon, hopefully soon. <laughs> yes, very soon. Uh, now I will have a, an assistant to help me to upload all the information in YouTube. And we we refresh our YouTube channel. Uh, last week, we have the first performance with the Spanish troupe, with the European troupe. Uh, in, in Japan, I have two troupes. In Japan, I have two, I have a, a, around two 20 dancers. In China, I have a troupe too, but now I stopped the troupe in China. Uh, in Argentina, I have another troupe, but I stopped the troupe of Argentina too. In a moment, I have five troops. <laughs> oh, wow. So you even managed to direct them on this, like, wow. Because, for example, if I work this week in Spain and I made one new choreo, we record the choreo step by step in Spanish and English, and we share this information with all the troops, and all the troops start to work with the same music and the same new movements and the same new combinations. And I direct the troop in a virtual way, you know? We share the information mm. between the troops. That's, yes, that's completely new layer of your work. <laughs> that was uh, completely uh, not discovered by me, like, wow. <laughs> For example, the troop from Japan performed last Saturday with me here in Spain. And this choreo we made with the, the Spanish troop. But we, I sent this video to Japan and the Japanese troupe made a rehearsal in Japan and came to perform in Spain with the choreo. And it's amazing. It's amazing because the, the, the troupe from Europe watched the video, not watched the video, watched the, the, the live performance. And I say, oh, we made this choreo. And now the Japanese dancers <laughs> come to dance with this. And it's so excited because you share your world in a moment. One Japanese dancer write to one European dancer and say, oh, thank you because your video helped me because uh, each dancer uh, have one, not tutorial, but you follow one dancer in the video, you know, and it's, it's like a share with another people. It's, it's very interesting, nice experience. Wow, it's sort of also uh, building your international uh, tribe <laughs> and secret tribe. <laughs> in, the, in the tour with them, in Mexico, the organizers say, oh, we have a troupe here and we want to dance with you, is possible? And I say, yes. And I send one of the choreo of the Aladdin musical. And I say, look, I have many choreos step by step. I will send you one choreo and you can learn this choreo and we dance together. And when I arrived to Mexico, we made two rehearsals and we per I, I performed with the troupe of Mexico uh, it's not my troupe, but the, the, the Mexican troupe performed my choreo and I performed with this in, in the show. It's so interesting. It's a very nice experience. Oh, nice. Yeah, I saw some videos of you performing with uh, multiple dancers, with definitely some dance group, but uh, it never occurred to me that, oh, this may be your regular sort of troupe, but distance international troupe or something like that. I was just thought, oh, maybe it's uh, they learned from workshop or worked previously or somehow it's like one like one-time thing. But basically you sort of uh, uh, keep it on as an ongoing thing and uh, have it spreading worldwide. That's uh, fascinating. <laughs> yes, it's a hard work because every, every rehearsal 
we need record the regular video, record the video for each group, and record the video step by step in English and Spanish for right. so many hours to work. <laughs> mm. But I really enjoy. I kind of also feel that you keep uh, moving from one interesting, unique project to another interesting, unique project. And I know you have a lot, and I'm just picking some of them that we can cover in this interview. But you're currently involved in another uh, interesting uh, artistic adventure <laughs> that is not very common to be involved as a foreign dancer. And it's a play at uh, Balloon uh, Theater. It is... Um, can you actually tell a little bit more yourself? Because I feel you will give more <laughs> details and uh, interesting uh, insights into what this play is about and what is the significance of, of this whole project. Sure, yes. Well, the Masrah al-Balloon, which is the Balloon Theater, this is the famous theater, and it's run by the government. Um, it has it houses the Reda troupe, which was uh, originally Mahmoud Reda originated this troupe, and then later uh, Egypt, the the government, um, he kind of sold, sold that troupe over to the government, and then he had his own private troupe where they would go do certain things. But th it's a big deal because the Ferret Reda Reda troupe and the Kalmea troupe both have rehearsal halls there, and they perform on that stage. So. Um, this theater, it's called the Balloon Theater because the ceiling, it's like a big round structure uh, with metal and then it's kind of covered in, you know, uh, I don't know exactly what sort of material it is, but it's big, like a, looks like a balloon at the top because it's big and round. So that's why they called it the Balloon Theater. Um, but this theater... Uh, the projects that go through it are um, kind of, they, they're through the government. So they have to be approved by the Minister of Culture. And right now, the Minister of Culture uh, is Madame Inez, and it's a woman, which is wonderful. Um, so the, they just renovated the theater two years ago. And Dr. Adil Abdu, who is now, he's the chief of the Balloon Theater, um, he has directed this, the play that was the grand opening of the Balloon Theater, and then he's directing this other play now, uh, which is called Cert del Hope, um, which is talk of love or a, a lot of, you know, it's like a long journey about the talking of love. And it's about the, it's a tribute and it's about the life of the very famous Egyptian composer, Bali Hamdi. And Belie Hamdi uh, composed Alf Leila and Sertel Hope and uh, Ganal Hawa and uh, Bahia and I mean so many songs. Uh, Lisa Fecker. I mean I can't I can't even think of them all. But it's, there's so many great wonderful songs in this play. But this this is about his music and his life. So it's wonderful and. Uh, the singers, you know, one one singer, her name is Nahla Khalil. She plays uh, Um Kalsum, and Marwa Nagy, who I worked with in the in the grand opening. She's playing uh, a character that kind of leads you through the story. Um, she's kind of the connecting tie that they wrote in, you know. Um, and then uh, there's a very famous singer and actor named Ihab Fahmi, and he's playing Billy Hamdi. And there's many other wonderful, notable. Um, actors and artists and singers that are that are in this project so it's 
you know, it's one of those fantastic things because it, it is, it's a play. The subject matter is, is so rich because the music is so good and it's about his life and, and the story. And he knew he worked with all these famous singers. So like all the people, all the songs that we dance on, that's his music. Mm-hmm. So of course I was wanting to be part of this. Now the, the interesting and ironic part is that there's no belly dancing in the show. <laughs> so the dance the dance that the the ensemble is doing is more kind of ballet and contemporary. And the director, Dr. Adel, he put me first as doing a, a little bit of acting in French because uh, Billy Hamdi lived in Paris for a while and there was just a small little part. Um, but anyway, I had to travel to go to America and, and teach and the, the play was late and then they finally opened. And so anyway, the, the French part... Um, one of the other people took it over, and that was fine. And then I had a solo part for Alf Leila. And so what I'm doing is I'm actually dancing as a soloist with the ensemble, and I'm doing a mixture between – they're wearing kind of a modern contemporary. The girls and boys are wearing pants. And so I'm wearing kind of a costume that's uh, it's a little bit more contemporary, so it's got pants, and it's, uh, kind, you know, it's covered because this is the balloon theater. It's government-issued, like – you have to be, it has to be approved. So, you know, everything, you know, you're wearing, you're covered. You're, and when I say covered, I don't mean like you're wearing a belly dance costume with a stomach uh, mesh. I mean, you, you're wearing a dress or you're wearing pants and it's, you know, it's very elegant. And, but it has, to, it has to be something that will not offend the people because this is, these, some of these people don't like Rock Sharky at all. And we want to bring it in a way that is approachable for them and in a way that they will um, accept it. And I know that sounds really ironic and kind of crazy, but, but that's, that's how it is right now. Um, so, so anyway, in this piece, I am dancing a little bit of uh, the modern and contemporary with the group and improvising and doing some of the oriental when the music changes. So I'm doing a mix and it's actually, I started off just doing oriental and wearing a dress. Um, and then, you know, I saw a video and saw what the, they were doing and how they were wearing pants. And we decided, you know, um, I could change my costume, make it a little bit more contemporary. And, you know, I, my diploma is in ballet, so I, I do have the, the background for that. So I said, okay, you know, I could do some of the things they're doing. I could do some of the pirouettes, some of the stuff, and incorporate between their their work and my work with the music. And so far, the people have really loved that, and they've really enjoyed it. And um, so this, alhamdulillah, for that. But it's for me, it's not about me getting to dance on the stage, because I get to dance a lot, and I've been very lucky. But it's about the fact that I get to work with so many wonderful artists, and really uh, interesting people are coming to see the play every day. So it's like a great way to get to be meeting and networking um, with other directors and other actors for other things. So um, if I was just dancing in the hotel, as I usually do, these people wouldn't even know necessarily to come to see me. They don't, you know, some of them may know me, but some of them don't. But being in the play, a wonderful way to be part of something to me, which is very important. I don't know when I'll have the opportunity to dance as a soloist to Balik Hamdi with a, one of the best uh, maestros with the, with the orchestra, you know, on a stage like that. When will I have that opportunity again? I don't know. So I'm really grateful, you know, sometimes in the life you just feel like 
you know what? I'm going to be doing this. It's only a few weeks or it's only a month out of my life, but it's, it's important. It's, it's, uh, it's something which I will regret if I don't do it. And, and so I'm really happy to be part of that. Hmm. You know, also, listening to you, I realized that all the situation, it's uh, ironic in two, two major senses. Like, first, uh, all the songs that you mentioned, they're so common to ballad dancers. We always, like, it's these songs to ballad dance. Like, we are so used to it. But at the same time, there, they don't allow and they don't want to have ballad dance to Alfleyla. And... On another side, why it's so ironic, because in Baladin's community, we always have these discussions, oh, don't, uh, uh, don't fuse any other styles into Baladin, special to classical songs, just keep it very traditional Baladin's, like don't put uh, elements from ballet or modern or any other like dance styles. But here you're talking about play in Egypt, in an important Egyptian theater, Uh, basically approved by government and they actually actively taking this music and putting mostly ballet and modern and contemporary stuff to this music avoiding having what's in ballet dance community we would think that is this is the most appropriate as from dance point of view to perform to this song so it's really really ironic like these two two things to to hear about this project Absolutely. No, it's really funny. And you are absolutely right. And I was just thinking of that because actually yesterday I was like, man, this is like, you know, I mean, some people would be like, what the heck is going on? But here's the funny thing. Okay, number one, we have to remember these songs that we dance on were some of them, most of them were not made for dance. Mm -hmm. They were made for the singers. We later decided to dance on them because they're good. Okay, but they were not created as a mezance or as a, uh, they weren't created. I mean, later, like, okay, Nagwa Fawad had composers create songs for her or entrance pieces or things. And there are some songs that were just great to dance on, but they weren't created as a song to dance on. They were created as songs to be sung. But so this is, this is the first point that we have to remember. The second thing is, I think it's different when it comes to folklore. They have these songs that the, like the folklore groups, they, they will do the straight up traditional folklore. And if for some reason in Egypt, there's this complete double standard where ballet and the opera, if you're in the opera and the ballet, this is respectful. But if you're a ra'asa, if you're a belly dancer, it's not respectful. This is a, something that we have to deal with all the time. Now, fanana means artist where Asa is like a dancer, dancing girl. So to be a fanana, to, be, to show them that you understand the art. So what's weird is in some way, because I, I did it for a couple of days because I, I traveled to America, and then when I came back, I first went into the show just doing as I was doing in the rehearsal, which was just straight up, strict rock sharky movement, with the group doing their part, and I was wearing a dress. And, of course, I was covered from my neck to my toe. I had mesh uh, leggings with rhinestones on it, so they could see beige shorts. <laughs> the, the dress uh, we call fustan, it's a dress. It was uh, beige and gold, and it's all covered, covered, but beautiful. Very, you know, it looked great on the stage. But, uh, but the point is, is that, you know, 
the the choreographer had already created this dance for the for the the group mm-hmm. and it was more modern so when when we saw the video it didn't look bad but i can do more and i can do I can do the things that they're doing. And so we decided, okay, let us, now that we see the whole look, because when they were dancing before, I didn't even know what they were wearing. Were the girls going to wear dresses? We didn't even know what the set would be like when we were in rehearsal, what the costumes would be like. I had no idea. So when I saw it already done, we saw the backdrop, we saw the background, we saw what they were wearing and how it was looking. It was like, okay, well, this is okay, but we could do better. But the only thing that has to change, we're not going to change them now, okay? This is a group. We can only change me. (laughs) And fortunately, the director gave me, I mean, this never happens either. I mean, when does this happen where you're just like, okay, do, do, you know what to do. He basically gave me license to, to do whatever I wanted, which like that, I know because I, for all this time, I mean, that never happens. I mean, as a, as a belly dancer, when you're doing Rock Sharky, of course, all I do is improvise, but that's my own show that I'm running, not, hey, you're in a play, you're doing a solo, do whatever you want. Um, so it's been great to have that sort of freedom, and I feel really lucky. Um, but, I mean, anyway, so as we looked at it, it was like, okay, well, let us adapt it a little bit to make it work as a whole together total, not just this is one thing and this is something entirely different and it's not going together. So even though originally you hear Alf Layla and you just want to do the traditional rock sharky moves, if the choreographer had already created this kind of more modern, but that's the thing in Egypt, when it comes to the theater, it's a different sort of audience than it would be, you know, uh, going to see a belly dancer in a restaurant or a hotel or a nightclub it's a totally different thing. So they want to elevate it. And for them, their way of elevating it in their mind is making something more balletic or more modern. And it's okay for the play. So it's, it's kind of an interesting sort of double standard and, but it's their standard and I'm not going to argue with it because I'm, I'm the lucky one who's able to be up there doing it. So whatever makes them happy, whatever is going to make them proud to say, yes, we're glad that we brought this person and Hey, you know, she's, this artist is, she does rock Sharky as a living, but she also has a background in dance and in ballet. She can do these things. And I mean, the director was very happy because I made the changes and he said, you know what? It's actually, it works. It's really good. And it's even better. It, it, it even looks better than it did before, you know? So, Hey, that's okay. I can do my regular belly dance and my regular belly dance shows, but for this play, this is how it's going. And, you know, again, it's kind of that idea of looking at the business of it. Like, what do they want? What do they need? It's not always up to me. You know, sometimes when you're doing your own creative project, like say if I'm doing a performance like for a, for a festival, well, this is my work and what I want to put out there so I can have a complete say in what it is that I'm going to do. But if I'm doing something for a theater or at a hotel, they may want the show a certain format. And I really need to be able to adapt to give them what it is that they want. Otherwise, they, they can, they'll get somebody else who will. How did you get involved even in this place as a ballet, uh, play as a ballet dancer? Uh, because they probably could have just got someone, I don't know, contemporary or modern. Or you were first involved there as an actor and then dance part came later. 
Well, I, I worked with Dr. Adil Abdu for Betel Fan, which was the grand opening of the Balloon Theater a, a couple of years ago. Um, we started rehearsals in 2016, but they opened in 2017. So he, I was dancing in the ensemble, in the ballet ensemble, um, and it was, you know, I, and that's where I was actually dancing. My dance partner was Sema, who was the, the guy that worked in my group from years before. Mm-hmm. So there was actually three, about three people in that, in that group that had worked for me at different times, which was really cool. Um, and we had a great time in rehearsals. But because the director already knew that I was versatile, he knew I was already working as a belly dancer, but then I'm but I also could dance classically, you know, I classically trained so I could do the ballet and the contemporary. He was kind of wanting me to dance in the ensemble again. But by the time that I joined, they had pretty much already done everything. And he said, okay, well, I could give you, you know, I was able to take this little acting part in the French and I was able to, he, he said, okay, we'll put you as a soloist anyway. Um, and so anyway, that worked out. So he, it wasn't that he wanted a belly dancer. He didn't want a belly dancer. He didn't, and, and when, when I was traveling, he didn't replace my part. It just didn't exist. The group just did their dance. So when I came in, I went into it. But um, it wasn't like he was looking for that. He didn't want a belly dancer. He just wanted a soloist because all of the other songs had singers singing lyrics. So each of the songs in the play, there's always a singer singing. Alfleila was the only song where there was no singer on the stage and it was just the ensemble. So having a solo dancer kind of takes the place of having the singer to have your focus on. Mm-hmm. So that was his idea and he was going to utilize me in that capacity. But I think what he really wanted was something more closer to what I'm doing now, which is the mixture of the two. So now he's satisfied with that. Um, and, you know, for me, it's great because, hey, people can be like, oh, look, you know, she's versatile. I mean, when else do I get to do something like that? I, I don't get to do that in my normal shows. So for me, it's it's a really fun thing to get to do, you know. Um, you know, it's, it's just kind of one of those things that just kind of evolved. You know, it happened very organically. It's like, oh, okay, well, let's look at the video. Oh, you know, they're wearing pants. Now the dress looks kind of weird. Okay, well, I could, I could change my costume. And I could, now that I'm wearing pants, well, I could do some of these things too. And it just kind of, you know, it really evolved. And, and that's how it went. But yeah, you're right. It, it, is, it is kind of ironic, Um but, but that's the thing here. They, they have a respect for, for ballet, um, but it, it, it seems as, you know, it, it's not everybody is so open-minded when it comes to Rock Sharky, and that is, that is really unfortunate. You know, your story is this project, like on one side, someone can tell like, oh, it's a matter of like luck and the stars aligned, which is true in some way. But on another side, it's a perfect example that yes, luck, we all need this luck, but we also need to be ready. Then this luck comes that people, that the person understands the environment and expectations that people around who provide that sort of luck, they know about you, they know your skills, they know your capacity. So it's uh, 
we still need to do a lot of homework <laughs> to be ready to that moment that the stars aligned and they give this uh, lucky opportunity to be involved in some project that it's uh, it's never just a uh, matter of pure luck. It's sort of a matter of, uh, I guess, manifestation through your uh, all previous work that you get this opportunity. To Thank you for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if so... Do you know the best way to support this project is to share it with your friends. It takes few seconds, costs you nothing, but it helps a lot to move this project forward and help me to bring more awesome guests on the podcast in the future. You can tell your friend, you can send a message, email, you can screenshot and put a, a post on social media, whatever works better for you. But if every one of you will share this episode at least with one more person, it will make a huge difference for this podcast. Thank you for spending your time with us, for your support and love. And until next time, keep shimming, keep dancing, and I will see you soon. Thank you.